If you're brand new, Atticus, Spain, it's good to have you here. He's here? All right. So uh, congrats, guys. If you just had work done in your heart, Russ, it's good to have you here. <laughs> um, Adia, I mean, it's just, yeah. It's, uh, it's good. And, and every single one, I could go and name all of you. Um, welcome. It's good to have you all here. Um, if you're from France, good to have you here. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we can go through, but it's, it's good to gather. And um, I mean, the snow out there is just beautiful. It's, it's really cool. It, it's cool. Uh, our kids, when they woke up, uh, probably about nine o'clock, I think, they were really excited about the snow. So, it's beautiful. So, enjoy the snow. Um, so, we're in a series uh, called The Real God. And, and we're, what we're doing is we're systematically looking at God's attributes. Because uh, if we want to get this a fuller, a, a richer, a, a true, an honest picture of God. Because I think we have these images of God, but, but they're not always based on truth. And so we've got to kind of dive in and say, okay, what is true about God? Who is, this, who is the real God? Uh, and not just the God of our imagination or the God of our, our kind of desires or, or what we would like Him to be. There's a sense where instead of us drawing a picture of God, we're after a portrait, a photo, an image of, that God gives us, rather than us just drawing God. And so we've been going through, uh, we're in week four, uh, this is the third attribute we're doing, we did kind of a, an intro, and then two weeks ago we looked at God's goodness. And just for us to know that God is good, and, and just how comforting that is. And so, so when things are, are hard or or don't make sense, we've got to, we've got to f- grasp and, and stand firm on the foundation of God's goodness. That in, in, every, everything, in every way that He deals with us, in every dealing, He is good with, to, to us. Last week, uh, we spoke about the sovereignty of God. And, and it's, uh, Jason did a great job just explaining that, you know, we have our free will and God has His will. And, and in the end, God's will happens, okay? And somehow He works it all out with our free will as well. But, but isn't that comforting to know that in the end, God's will comes about? And it's not like He's caught by surprise, like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. No, His will happens. And so, yeah, God's, God's story, history is God's story. And it's not like someone else's story. It's all God's story, everything. He is telling the story. So this week, we're going to look at holiness, and, and what does it mean, God's holiness? And, and then I'm going to kind of flip-flop back and forth because we're going to look at God's holiness, and then He calls us to be holy as well. Okay. So when you think of, of God's holiness, what comes to mind? Perfection. Moses in the burning bush. Yeah. Holy... Everything in the, if you look at the Old Testament, look at the book of Leviticus, that was all so that you could kind of start maybe being holy so that you can get to God in the temple. Okay, what else? God's holiness. Heaviness. Set apart. And that and set apart really comes down to um, kind of the definition of holiness. And we'll, we'll look at that as well. But um, what about if... If someone, is, is holiness in, in our day today, in our culture today, 
Is holiness something people, um, is it a positive or negative trait? Isn't it? Exactly, holier than thou. Like, oh, that guy's holier than thou. Like, he thinks he's someone. Um, but I think holiness, in, for us as believers, holiness should be something that we desire and, and strive for and, and ask God for and, and seek after. And it's, it's not a negative thing. But I, I do think in the culture, I think if we're honest with ourselves in the culture, um, holiness can be seen as a, a kind of a negative thing. So, so there's a difference. I think what we have to make sure is, is, is God's holiness. God is, is so other to us. Um, yeah, we can, you got the definition up there. Okay, the, the root where it comes from is to, to mark off or to set apart from all else, um, to, be, to be different, distinct, or unique from the common or, or just the ordinary. Um, and so, yeah, God's holiness, He's, He's different to us. And, and so what we have to be cautious of is sometimes <clears throat> we can look at God's holiness and, and think of, of what we know of kind of the most holy person and, and kind of just extrapolate, just multiply it out. We kind of think, okay, so God's like 100 times better than Billy Graham, you know? So, and, and we, we kind of, or like, you know, and you do whatever your number is or like, you know, this person is really holy, and, and so, so God is basically just more of that, better of that. But, but holiness, it says He's, he's distinct, He's other, He's totally other. Um, and so it's not just kind of our best idea of holiness times, you know, whatever, exponent, but, but God is distinct, He is he's different, He's, own, he's, he's holy. Um, yeah, because sometimes we think God is just better or higher or, or maybe cleaner um, than us. But no, He is, he is holy. He's, he's totally and fully holy. If you, if you look on your outlines, there's a, a quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, we know nothing like divine holiness. This is kind of the struggle of trying to understand holiness, divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire His wisdom, but His holiness He cannot even imagine. And so, so really defining God's holiness is hard because it's, it's hard for us. Because what we tend to do is the whole, oh, this guy's really holy, and we just kind of magnify it or, or, or multiply it. But no, God's holiness means He's totally other than us. He's different. Um, and so, yeah. To be holy is to be different, distinct, unique. And so if you look on your, on your outline again, on, in your paper, um, the holiness of God is that which divides Him from everyone and everything else. Is the quality of God being different, distinct, unique, one of a kind. And uh, the Israelites speak about, and this is in Exodus, so you got, you know, the Exodus, the burning bush, all of that's happened. And, it's, and in Exodus 15 it says, who amongst you, who amongst the gods is like you, O Lord? And so looking at other gods, who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. And so there's that question like, how do we, we have nothing to compare 
God's holiness too. It's not like there's other gods and we can say, you know, there's other people, other gods, and just say, okay, more of that, better of that. He's like, no, it's, we have no framework really for God's holiness. He's just so distinct, so other from us. So, so how do we then get to know God's holiness? Like, how, how do we know what holiness means? What do we, how do we know that God is holy? How does God reveal His holiness to us? And, and, and the cool thing is, is God does that. He reveals His holiness to us. He shows us His holiness. Um, and if, if you have your, your, your paper outline, there's a long list there. And I'm not going to work through that whole list. It's like the whole of page two there. But it, um, yeah, hang on, I, I got ahead of myself. But th- there's, there's two, two meanings to holiness in terms of His majesty, His majesty, which is um, just, it, if you think of God's largeness and God's, just that we will fall down and worship Him and His majesty. That is, that is one aspect of His holiness. And then the other aspect of His holiness that's really, really key is that God is, is totally sinless. There is no sin in God. And I think we really have to, we have to remember this because I, I think in today's culture, that is being called into question. I think God's holiness is being called into question in today's culture. So if we say that God is perfect and sinless, that means He made no mistakes. He didn't make a mistake in creating these people or those people. He didn't make a, a mistake. And, and so we do it with creation. We go like, well, you know, God said He created, but man, it looks like, you know, if you date this stuff and carbon dating and all this kind of stuff, it looks like God was wrong on the age of the earth and creation, okay? Or, or maybe even today when we talk about sexual orientation and, and God making male and female and marriage for male and female, husband and wife. You know, today's culture would go like, well, I think we'll find out that God was wrong on that one. You know, that, that it's, it's, it's a bit, you know, we, we're beyond that maybe. And so I think in today's culture, we have to stand very firm and say, God is holy. There is no mistake. There is no, um, you know, like forgetting in God. He is perfect. And, and that perfection, that sinlessness... He doesn't, he doesn't get caught by surprise. He doesn't have a bad day. Um, and He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't overlook. He doesn't mess up. He is holy. <coughs> and so God has never sinned. God will never sin. And God can't sin because of His holy nature. Okay? And folks, that's comforting. Isn't that nice to know? God's never going to, He's never going to have a bad day, okay? He's never going to take a day off and go like, you know, I'm tired of these, these people and, and just, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something bad to them. God cannot sin. He is holy, perfect, always right. So, yeah, it's important to know that. Okay, so how do we know God's holiness? Well, He reveals it to us. Back to where we were earlier. Uh, if you follow in your outline, page two, there's a whole long list there. Um, and it starts off with burning bush, Moses. God reveals His holiness in supernatural encounters. He, he meets with, with humans. And, and you remember, there's this burning bush, and Moses is instructed to take off, and all he sees is the burning bush, okay? 
He's instructed to take off his sandals because, what does God say? You're on holy ground, holy ground. Because God was there, and now that, that ground is holy. Um, and again, when, when Moses, uh, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, when Moses asked, can I see you? Uh, and it said God's goodness passed before him. God hid Moses in, that, in the cleft in the rock to protect him from his goodness or from his holiness. And, and God passes by. And so, yeah, God reveals his holiness in supernatural encounters. Isaiah, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, has, has this vision, and, and, he, and it says, I saw the Lord, and we sing this, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. If you have any idea of how big the temple is, the temple was massive. And just this image of like the train of His robe, just the train of His robe filled the temple, and so God's got to be almost outside the temple, so that the temple is full just with the train of his robe. And it says there was seraphim um, just crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And, and in, in the Hebrew language, uh, so in English we have good, better, best, like degrees, like something is good, then it's better, then it's best. Hebrew language doesn't have that. If they want to say best, they say good, good, good. So it's like three goods. And so because it's good, 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 and so the same with holy. It says, the seraphim were crying out, holy, holy, holy. Isn't that cool? Like, the holiest of holy, 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 holy is the Lord. Um, God reveals Himself as well as, as holy in holy places. Uh, these places that, that He comes uh, to meet with, with humans. Um, the burning bush, uh, the Red Sea. Where God, the, the Israelites in the Exodus, they get to see God working in the, dividing the sea and the pillar, um, providing. But these holy places, these places that are holy, um, the tabernacle, that God, the, the tabernacle that they create, that they build, that God indwells, the tabernacle is there, and that's a holy place. And so there's limitations on who can access it. And you know, Book of Leviticus, go and read that. Um, Solomon's temple. God instructs Solomon to build a temple, and, and God is there. His presence is there, and, and there's the Holy of Holies, this place where, where a priest could only go in once a year, and they had to tie a rope to his ankle so they could pull him out if anything happened, if he was overwhelmed by God's holiness. Um, uh, Acts chapter 4, there's this, this beautiful, the, the church is together. The church gathers, and it says that the, the building shook because of the Lord's presence. And so I think that's, again, just His holiness is revealed there. God shows up. And then uh, John gets this revelation of heaven. And he sees heaven. And, and I don't even know if he has the right words. He, he's just he's grasping at words to describe the holiness of God. If you go and read um, Revelation chapter 4, I'd encourage you, grab, if you don't have a bulletin, if you don't have an insert, there's some spare on the back, but go and look at these passages, go and read these chapters, and just soak in, in God's holiness. Go and read these, and just, it's throughout God's Word. The law, how do we know God's holy? Because of His law, the Ten Commandments, and, and then all of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that, that God places these boundaries in place and say, 
I am holy, I'm distinct, I'm different, and this is how you, you behave, this is how you interact. Um, through the prophets, if you think of so many of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, just speaking of God's holiness. God is holy. I think another, another way we can see God's holiness is how He responds to sin. If you remember, uh, in the Old Testament, um, in Joshua chapter 7, um, the Israelites are, are, are entering the promised land, and, and they were told not to take any plunder or, or take any, anything from these people that they had just had a battle with. And, and Achan um, takes some gold and some silver and some cloth, and, and God says, no. The, the disease comes on, and, and suffering comes on all of Israel, and, and they have to find out who has done something wrong. Who has sinned? And God's very clear that there should be no sin. And it's like that, that whole principle of the yeast in the dough, because that little bit of yeast is going to spread through the whole dough. Uh, we see the same in the New Testament. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, here's the young church, and, and people are, are giving, and Ananias and Sapphira come up and say, hey, we sold a piece of land, and here's everything we got for it. I mean, they were giving. They were doing a good thing, weren't they? And they're asked, the disciples ask them, is this, is this all of it? And they go like, oh yeah, yeah, this is all of it. But they'd, they'd conspired, they'd agreed to, to lie. And, and what does God do? Strikes them dead. I mean, like dead, dead. Not like, like <laughs> I, mean, I mean, imagine that. Imagine if, if you know, the, the offering basket went, went around and, and like, you know, someone in your row drops dead, like dead. <laughs> like no resuscitation, you know, 911, it's like dead. No, he's dead. Wow. God is holy. God is holy. I think another way that God reveals his holiness to us is through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to see what holiness looks like for us, look at the life of Jesus. I'd, I'd encourage you, take time and just read a gospel. Just sit down and read a gospel. Take a couple hours and just look at God's holiness through His Son, Jesus Christ. Every aspect of His life is holy. Every aspect. On the outline, there's some kind of highlights there, and I encourage you to do that. I think God also reveals His holiness through His people, um, through the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, um, and I think today as well, through the church, through us. God reveals His holiness through us. He calls us to be holy like Him. And, and so we're distinct. We're different to the culture. And He calls us to be different. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to, to send a clear message to the world. And so, yeah, God's holiness. It, it raises a couple of questions. Um, if, if God is holy... And, if, and Habakkuk says this, that, that, that God cannot look on sin. God cannot, Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Okay, so, that, so God is holy, okay? And there's no sin. He cannot sin. He will not sin. And, and, and He hates sin. What on earth is He doing here with us? Like, why does He hang out with us? Why does He want to even get near us or allow us to get near to Him? Like, how does that work? Like, aren't we just going to track in our sin and our filth and our brokenness and our, yeah. So how does a holy God 
connect with us? Or how do we connect with the Holy God? There's a tension there. If God is totally pure and He's, he's apart and He's distinct and He's other from us, how can we come near Him? How can He desire a relationship with us? How can we even approach Him? How can we even call on His name? Well, the good news is um, through Jesus Christ. Amen. God sends His Son to pay the price for our sin. And so our sin issue that would separate us from God, Jesus pays the price for our sin. And it says that, that we are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. And so when God looks at us, we're dressed like Jesus. We're dressed up like Jesus. And, and, and we're clothed, we're covered, we're, we're embraced in Christ's righteousness. And so when He sees us now, through Jesus Christ, we are righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. So through sending His Son to, to ransom us, we're made righteous in His sight. And so if, if we're trying to get close to God apart from Christ, I don't think that's possible because of God's holiness. Because if you want to show up um, not dressed as Jesus Christ, not dressed in His righteousness, if you want to show up on your own terms, doing things in your, your own way, try and work your own way, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because God is holy and He hates sin. And so you, you might say, well, you know, I'm 99.9% .9 sinless. And that 1.1%, God, it's just anathema to Him. He cannot deal with it. And so the only way is through Jesus Christ. That is the only way we can approach Christ. Because otherwise, um, yeah, it, sin is repulsive to God. Because God is holy. And so we need Jesus Christ. Um, see, we've missed the mark. And I want to show you a, a quick video. We, we've missed the mark every time. Um, and we have no way of hitting the mark of holiness. And so we need Jesus Christ. Let's play the video. Long ago, there was a good and mighty king who ruled a great land. All the citizens of the land hoped one day they could meet the king to receive his blessing and favor. But it had been decreed that no one would be allowed in his presence unless they proved themselves worthy, for the king was high and holy. To be invited to meet the king required that each man had to pass a test. One day, a messenger arrived to remind the people of the king's decree. To prove yourself worthy, you must shoot an arrow across the river and strike my target perfectly in its center. Many in the land believed the test would be easy, but the target stood far, far across the river almost further than the eye could see. The truth is that no man had ever hit the target except for one man, the king's son, the prince. 
of whom it was once told had struck it perfectly in its center. Many had tried and failed in years past, but each man continued to believe he would be the one to pass the king's test. Some men thought it was a joke. Others desperately desired to please the king by working hard to hit the target. But again and again, each man failed. Every arrow missed, and none even came close. Then, a humble man took up his bow. Like everyone else, he longed to receive the king's blessing. So he raised his bow and drew back his arrow. But soon, he realized he was not worthy to take the shot. He could never, ever reach the target. He was overcome with shame. All he could do was beg the king's mercy and ask for favor he did not deserve. He handed his arrow to the messenger and said, Only the prince can hit the target. I am not worthy, but he is. Would you ask him to hit it for me? And then something amazing happened. The messenger revealed that he was himself the prince, and he honored the man for trusting him to pass the test on his behalf. And for his act of humility, he would now receive the king's blessing and favor. What the humble man had realized was what the king wanted every man to know. Let my son pass the test for you, and you will live in my presence forever and ever. And this is the lesson for all of us today. Never forget, God is holy. God is holy. Folks, we, we can't hit the mark. Um, we all miss. But, but God has sent His Son, Jesus, to, to hit the mark for us. So I uh, really want to encourage you, make sure that you're not out there shooting your own arrows. Allow Jesus Christ to, to do that. So the, the next question that then comes is, If Jesus is the one who, who hits the mark for us, and, and we are now holy, why do we keep sinning? Why, 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 doesn't things, why, why does it not just all change when we accept Christ? Like, hey, we accept Christ, we're born again, we get this new heart, and then we just stop sinning. Why does that not happen? And, and I think for many of us, that would be our desire. We're like, oh, our sin, like... Why, why can't I just be done with this? I mean, there are times I'd, I shoot my mouth off, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, can I just be done with this? And so this is the question. If, if God's so holy that He cannot even gaze at sin, how, how can a sinful people like us? That's the first one. Let's go to the second one. That was the first question. But if, if trusting in Christ's work on the cross blots out our sin before God, and we are holy in His sight, why do we keep on sinning? Why does this keep on happening? Why are we not just done? Why do we keep messing up? Um, and if you're anything like me, it's like, man, I, I, I wish I just didn't sin. I, I really do. Because 
I know it affects, it affects you guys, it affects me, it affects my kids and the dog and everyone. <laughs> like, yeah, why do we keep messing up? And, and, and not just why do we keep sinning, like, oh, why do we keep choosing to sin? <laughs> By choice, like on purpose. And it's because of the fall. We, we know that, that because of, of the fall, that, and, and when we say the fall, we're, we're talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Gethsemane, or the, the Garden of Eden, sorry, Garden of Eden, where, where Satan comes and tempts them, and, and there's, sin is introduced there. And ever since then, we have an enemy that is tempting us, just like they tempted, he tempted Adam and Eve. We have an enemy that is, is trying to lure us away, trying to take us away from God's holiness, take us away from God. And his, his desire is to destroy us, to remove us from a relationship with God, to separate us from God. And so theologians have, have, have come up with um, an explanation of this, and it's, it's in your outline, and, and I'm, I'm going to just run through it real brief, but it's, it, it, it helps make sense. And so three big words. First of, first of them is justification, okay? When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when, when we surrender our lives to Him, we, we move. There is a shift. There's a change of ownership, actually. Uh, we're no longer owners. We, we, we become slaves. Uh, we, we surrender our ownership. We now belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to God the Father. If, if you want to think of it in terms of adoption, if, if you want to use this illustration, because that's used over and over in the New Testament, this concept of adoption. So we were, we were living on the street without parents, without a home, and when we're adopted, th there's a shift. We, we, we're now in a relationship, and that adoption makes it final and permanent. We're adopted. And so that's justification. That's the point right at the beginning where we're adopted. There's a court order that says you no longer belong to the street. You're no longer homeless. You're no longer parentless. You are now a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, of God. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. You belong. Okay? So that's justification. That's a, it's, and it, that happened at a point in time, very specific point in time. Okay? Then there's the, the sanctification. Okay, so there's justification, then sanctification. Now, if, if you imagine using that same analogy of adoption, uh, if, if you've lived, you know, 15 years on the street, exposed that was on the street in terms of just, just how you behaved and, 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 and how you survived and all of that, that doesn't, those habits don't change overnight, do they? You don't go from being a homeless child on the street to being a perfect child in a home overnight. And so there's a process of sanctification. There's a process of becoming, of being, already being, but, but becoming and being more a, a, a son and a daughter, of, of learning what it means to be a son and a daughter. It's not that we become better sons or better daughters. We just understand that maybe we understand that what exactly happened at adoption, that we are fully a son and fully a daughter, that we are an heir, we have an inheritance. And, and so it takes a while to, to kind of transition 
And, and that process, I think, that's where we find ourselves today is in sanctification. Well, if you, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, okay, uh, it's time to do it now. That's the justification part, okay? But for those of us who have, we are in that process of, of becoming, not, not becoming, we already are, of, of being more fully a son and a daughter. Now, folks, that process is going to carry on throughout life. I don't think it ends. It's not like we hit like a magic number, like 55, and ta-da, you arrive. No, I, I think it continues. We have to keep processing that. Um, because even as, as a son and daughter, sometimes we misbehave. We, we rebel against our father's authority. Maybe we reject our father's love. Um, and so, yeah, that's the process of sanctification. So justification is that moment of adoption. We're declared holy at that at that moment, we are declared holy. God says, this is my child, they are holy. Sanctification is us kind of working out what that all means and what that looks like and, and, and growing in holiness. But then, here's the cool part. One day, glorification, okay? So, sanctif- so justification, sanctification, glorification. That's when we enter into our glory, okay? That's the day... And, and I believe that's the day we die and we get to stand in front of God the Father, be in His presence. And have you ever thought about what it means to be glorified? So, so we were justified, we were made right with God, we kind of, sanctification, it was being worked out, but now we stand in and it's done. And it's, it's finished, it's, it's complete, the process is complete, we're face to face with God and He's made us fully holy, totally holy. There will be, we'll be holy like He is holy. No more sin. Have you ever thought about that? I, I just, just soak in that. Like, you're going to live in eternity and never struggle with sin ever again. Man, isn't that good news? Like, isn't that going to be great? I mean, you, you're going to, no more temptation, no more tension, no more stress and, and, and like, oh, no more regret. Think of yourself. I don't, know if you can, I don't know if we can even begin to picture ourselves in our glorious holiness, standing face to face with God in our glorious holiness. Nothing that we've done. He's done it all on the cross. But we get to stand before God in our glory glorified, fully and totally holy, just like Jesus. So, how do we respond? How do we respond to God's holiness? Well, it's a decision we need to make. It's a decision we need to make. If you put up the next slide, Hebrews uh, 12, it says, um, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Make an effort, decide to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's a decision. We have to decide, you know what? I am going to, the, the sanctification process, I am going to work this process. I am going to run this process. I am going to walk towards God. I am going to keep moving towards holiness. And this is not a, a works thing that we do ourselves. This is, Jesus, will you walk with me? I will follow you. Guide me. I will walk with you in this process of becoming holy. 
And so it's a decision to follow Jesus. It's a decision to walk with Him daily. And I think we have to repeat that decision every day. We have to, because we can get kind of like, oh, well, you know, I took care of it back then. No, I think there's every single day when we wake up, we have to go like, okay, God, I'm going to live this day with you. I'm going to surrender all of who I am to you. I'm going to walk with you today. Not only is it a decision, it's also a command. It's a command that we have to obey. Um, you can put up 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. It says, therefore, with, and, and this is for us, with, with our minds fully alert and fully sober, set our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, think of those adopted, that process of adoption, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy. Here's a command from God. Be holy in all you do. Yeah, be holy in all you do. Why? Because He is holy. Be holy because He is holy. Folks, it's a decision and it's a command for us to be holy. Now, this is really, I love this because God, He doesn't just say, okay, guys, there you go, you know, just work this out. No, He is here with us, and, and He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to be with us. He sends, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so He gives us these tangible images. We're going to take communion right now. It's kind of the conclusion to the message. We're going to take communion. And I, I want you to remember where communion comes from. So there's the Passover. Because of the Exodus, okay, there's the Passover. Um, God sends the angel to kill every firstborn son of the Egyptians, but the Israelites are spared because they've, they've taken this lamb and they've, they've sacrificed this lamb and taken the blood of the lamb and, and posted it, sprayed it or, or spread it on the, the doorposts. And the angel of death passes over that, that house because of the blood of the lamb. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey guys, we're going to celebrate the Passover. And it, and it all lines up. It all comes perfect in terms of God's timing. And Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. And he says, I am that lamb. And, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Keep doing this so that you remember that that sacrifice has been paid, that sacrifice has been made. And that because of that sacrifice, there is no death. And so, yeah, Jesus is celebrating the last Passover, because I, I think that was the final one, because now it gets to something totally different. Now we don't have to celebrate the Passover anymore. Now we get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And He, and he, he gives the Passover its true meaning, its fulfillment. The, the Passover was designed for that moment. And He says, I am the Lamb that will blot out your sins. So I want to read from uh, Luke chapter 22. This is Jesus. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to do this in silence. And, and I, I want to invite you to come up. And, and as, you, as you come up in your own time, I want you to thank God for justifying you. Thank God for, for the cross, because, that, that because of the cross, we are justified. We are in right standing with God. And, and I want you to thank God for sanctifying you. He didn't just die on the cross and then say, okay, guys, you know, just figure it out. No, he, he remains, God remains with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit is, is leading us into sanctification that we become holier and holier. He's leading us. And then, again, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, I want you to thank God for the resurrection. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He came alive, and we too. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The resurrection is a picture of our glorification. We get to have bodies like Jesus, glorified bodies, because of the resurrection. So justification, sanctification, glorification, all because of the cross. And so I want us to, to take, I'm going to pray, and then I want you to come up in your own time, take communion, and thank God for justifying us to continue that work of sanctification in us through the Holy Spirit, and just longing for glorification, longing for the time where we will be just like Jesus, risen from the dead, fully alive in God's presence. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are holy. There's no one like you. You are perfect. And yet you chose to be obedient, to pay the sacrifice, to be the Passover lamb whose blood was shed for us, whose body was broken for us. Because of the cross, we now can stand in God's presence. We can hit the mark because you hit the mark for us. And so, Lord, we don't do this in our own strength. We lay down our, our bow and our arrow and say, Jesus, will you hit the mark for us? Will you be on target for us? Because it's impossible for us to do. And so, yeah, we, we surrender as a decision. We surrender to you. And, Lord, we will follow your command to be holy, just as you are holy. So, Father, as we come now and take this communion just silently, Lord, we just focus on your, 
justifying us, sanctifying us. And Lord, we long to stand in your presence glorified because of your resurrection. And so, Lord, we, we come now and we take your blood and your body. And we say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Yeah, we pray this all in your name. Amen.